Today's guest on the podcast is Clara Rubin of Verizon Educate. We get a crash course in why restaurants should invest in wine education, talk tech and wine, and future trends in the industry. Enjoy. I came to wine because I was leaving university and I hit a lot of graduate fairs, a lot. I was doing social anthropology at uh, Kent University, which was a wonderful way to spend three years and to come out with not a clue with what you wanted to do, um, but just have a lot of passion for people and the way they interact. Um, so at one graduate fair, I was lining up like everyone else to uh, have an internship at uh, certain BBC production companies, XYZ. And then um, I was sick of queuing and I thought, this is not, <laughs> this is not, it's not looking very successful for me. So I kept wandering the aisles and found a wonderful company called Majestic Wine. Right. Okay. Right. So it's how a lot of people come into the industry. Mm. I um, was listening to this guy talk about what he does and I hadn't heard that kind of passion all day. I hadn't heard someone actually enjoy talking about what they do um, and actually sound like they love what they do so much. Um, so I started at Majestic Wine as a trainee manager. Um, I remember my interview, actually. I remember them asking me, very similar to the questions you're asking me now about what wines do you like to drink. At the time, I was an advocate of things like Black Tower and Blossom Hill White Zinfandel. Um, but I also remember trying a, uh, a wine in a very strange shaped bottle called Vino Verdi. And I thought, what is that? That's a fun bottle shape. Um, and I remember that being sort of the only one that really made me think. And at the time at university, it just thought, I thought, well, I'm not going back there again. It doesn't have any sugar. Um, but I, that was the wine I mentioned in my interview for Majestic. And I remember them finishing the interview, giving me feedback and saying that was just a fantastic starting point. It was how I recommended it. You know, how would you recommend a wine to someone wanting a wine on a sunny day? And I said, well, what about a Vino Verde? It's slightly spritzy and it's, it's really fresh and crisp. And they went, oh my God, it's wonderful. And I thought, great, cool. <laughs> um, so I graduated in uh, 2008, um, which meant serious credit crunch recession and no one in any job worth having was moving. Um, so there was very little movement within Majestic, so I started to look around at what else I could do. And I, um, through a couple of uh, introductions from different people, got myself a trial shift at Restaurant Gordon Ramsay. Um, and thought, wow, okay, right, restaurant trade, let's go, let's do this. Obviously having worked as a barista in, in certain cafes to make my way through university, never really understood what... Um, wine's place was in service because I'd never been told mm-hmm. um, so I think that's probably not a very <laughs> um, it's not the origin story that a lot of people have when they talk to you about their stories you know I think Joe Fatterino was talking about how he was drinking 1945 <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Chateau Le Tour from the age of seven or something. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's not my origin story at all. Um, but having gone through Majestic, having gone through WCT Level 3, having this real passion lit within me from various managers and tutors I had in Majestic, I just thought, wow, this is this is something incredible. There's so much here. Um, and I think in that sense, I wasn't done being academic from university. So this was something that really fed me and actually fed me because it paid my bills. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, wow, I can do this. I can do this at the same time. Um, so I started at Restaurant Gordon Ramsay and uh, was only there a few glorious months. Um, and then I left the restaurant trade. Um, some things happened in my personal life. It all kind of imploded and I left everything. I got a stopgap job at um, Yamaha Music, 
R&D, amazing company, but nothing to do with wine. And wine started to become this language that I'd forgotten how to speak. Someone would say Valpolicella and I'd go, oh yeah, I, I know that word. What does that mean again? You know, so from going from level three and going from restaurant Gordon Ramsay and taking drinks orders and trying to, trying to crawl my way up the sommelier ladder to then not knowing, not remembering what Valpolicella meant, I just thought, oh, this is really bad. So I started to write. I started to write for my own benefit. I started to write articles and I self-published on WordPress um, with some wonderful support from families and friends. Just going, it's amazing, keep doing it, keep doing it. Um, and uh, and then a friend at the time pushed me into a sommelier position that I saw coming up, which was assistant head sommelier at Home House on Portman Square, um, which is a members club near Marble Arch. And it's really sort of history from there. I worked there for two and a half years, assistant head. I managed one restaurant and then it that grew to one restaurant and two bars and that grew to one restaurant, two bars and a later licensed members club downstairs. Mm. And then I started to take over training for a lot more of the bars. I think there was about, um, if I stop and count, then there's probably about eight yeah. and two restaurants, the Brasserie Deluxe and then the, mm -hmm. there's lots of other bits and pieces. It's an incredible um, building. It's an incredible place to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I was so sick and tired of producers or merchants or people sending me people that didn't know how to talk to my team, had no idea what their job was and had product information, but yeah. had never been taught how to teach. You know, it's like having the best in your field, but then not knowing how to communicate that. And the fact that that was acceptable to a lot of people really, really annoyed me. <laughs> so I... Um, started to write more training programs from within home house i then like a lot of people working in service missed things like vitamin d <laughs> and sunshine um and uh, i started working at berkman wine cellars and that was five and a half years ago so i started as sales support and um was managing the fine wine list before peter lowe i mean i say managing i basically responded to all of his emails and tried to try to edit as he wanted me to he still manages that list and it's an incredible list real amazing curatorship um and uh, again started writing training programs um just because salespeople that were coming to me were talking to me about how they didn't have anything to use um i then did a lot more research and presented to the then board of directors uh, a plan for writing quality objective-led structured wine training for service so Berkman's business is 80, 85% on trade um, and the rest is off and uh, again, private client sales or, or um, fine wine. Um, and obviously it's within their interests to make sure that we are communicating the message of our agencies and producers all the way through to the guests in the restaurant. Now, if we don't have staff standing in front of those guests who know how to communicate that message, it's pointless. You know, and we're falling at the first hurdle. Uh, sorry, at the last hurdle because we've got amazing wines, mm -hmm. people working very, very hard to get those into the country and get them listed, and then it's not being communicated. So we set up the raison and we launched in 2016 um, in June, and we have been flying since then. I haven't taken a breath since. <laughs> it's been pretty incredible. When um, when when I presented to that board of directors and I said, right, well. Um, what I'd done is researched what was already out there in the trade. And what was already out there in the trade was Court of Master Sommelier, WSCT, um, and then a lot of agency-branded um, wine information 
Now, Court of Master Smilly and WCT are incredible. They are amazing. Anywhere you go in the world, people know what you're talking about. And that is no small feat. That's an amazing yeah. thing. You can put that on your CV and travel anywhere in hospitality, anywhere in the world, and say, I've got my level two, I've got my level three, I've got my diploma. And they know what you're talking about. That is amazing. But there are hurdles you have to jump through to get to a WSCT qualification if you're working in service. Meaning a lot of the people that get WSCT qualifications have been working in that particular restaurant for so long that they then get the investment. It's like they then get awarded the investment. Um, Which means that still we've got people standing in front of guests not knowing anything about wine and feeling very, very bad about that. So that means if you're working in a restaurant and you are, um, you're there because you've just started your career in hospitality, or more often than not, you didn't even know you could make a career out of hospitality. You've then been put on the floor with maybe some good training of how to carry a tray or how to make a coffee, um, you know, and a lot of the clients that we work with, there's a lot of very good training on, um, you know, possibly silver service styles, or even if it's just sort of a very casual dining or gastro pub scenario mm-hmm. of, of, you know, how to, um, how to manage a section or something like that. But very rarely do you get quality wine training, but it's, you're asked about it all the time. When we first looked at launching um, Verizon, we did a, a survey with Hospitality mm-hmm. Gem, and we surveyed, I think it was just under 500 people, about um, what is the behavior of people that go to restaurants. Basically, 87% of visitors to restaurants will ask questions about a wine list. Mm. So if 87% of the people that you see during your shift are asking you questions on a subject you don't know anything about, how does that make you feel? Makes you feel pretty bad. Makes you feel like you can't do your job. Makes you feel like you don't want to go to work. You're not excited about it. And you stick to your comfort zones. And that might be, if you are 18, 19, 20, 21, that might be, well, would you like a beer? Can I get you a vodka tonic? Something like that. Those aren't necessarily the drinks that you need to be focusing on and sticking to because there's an amazing world of wine and other beverages and cocktails and everything out there that is going missing from your repertoire. You don't have that in your tool belt. Mm-hmm. So when I communicated that message to the to Berkman Wine Cellars, and we started to look at um, changing my job role. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I um, came out of um, uh, sort of just working with Peter as, as sales support, and I started really concentrating on um, writing these training programs. Um, I was then working in conjunction with Alex Hunt, who's Master of Wine Purchasing Director at Berkman, um, who is the most voracious semicolon user you've ever met in your life he's actually banned me from using semicolons i'm actually not allowed to use them because i don't know how to use them correctly lawrence me too hands up over here as well um so he was checking all of my facts he was making sure that all of my commas were in the right place and there was no semicolons Mm -hmm. and that all of the facts i was saying about wine were correct and it was a really enlightening time for me because as much as i thought i knew and i was doing my diploma Mm -hmm. at the time as much as I thought I knew, there's always more. There's always more. And I think one thing that the wine industry forgets is just how detailed our knowledge is and how that is lacking anywhere else and how it can seem like the mountain of wine knowledge you need to have is totally insurmountable. Mm-hmm. It can be very intimidating. Mm-hmm. But then we forget how much we do know. You know, you yourself yeah. were saying that wine knowledge for you 
you come into this with a wine naivety and that is precious and that's really important because that's mm. where the guest is that's where the guest is saying i know what i like and i don't know very much else and i'm saying well, that's all you need to know that's all you need to know but the person standing next to you by the table should know their wine list inside and out and they should know enough about wine to do what we call a like for like recommendation yeah. when we when we go in and we do our consultation whenever Verizon starts working with a client we don't just go in and do some training if we're told yeah can you come do a training on this date this time it's we're very reluctant because that's not that's not got longevity that's not we haven't discussed common learning goals or objectives and we don't know much about your business we can do a lot of research but we don't know much about your business and what you want to get out of it so a lot of what I get told is um, you know we say what do you want to get out of training they say well, well I, I just want my team to know more about wine and have more confidence which is a wonderful and admirable goal how do we get there? Mm. So I push them and I get them to be a little bit more specific. Sometimes they talk about the practicalities of pouring and journey of service, which is absolutely bang on. We do all of that. But sometimes I get someone to, to really push and say, well, I want them to be able to recommend like for like on my menu. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I have to take a breath <laughs> and get them to realize just how much knowledge you have to hold to be able to do that. So everything we do at Verizon and everything that we do for education and, yes, training, is um, all structured. So we have to come from the learning objective. If we want someone to be able to do a like-for-like, like, what does that look like? Okay, well, let's step it back. We've got to get someone to understand at least two different kinds of styles of wine. Okay, mm -hmm. to do that, we have to get them to understand a professional method of tasting and not just drinking. So we have to do the professional method, but then we have to do the professional method with two wines. Great, okay, fantastic. So if we choose two similar styles, two like-for-like -like wines, and then do the professional method with them for both of those, they've then got tasting notes for two wines, that's brilliant. So they can then compare two like-for-likes. Now that takes minimum, minimum 20 minutes to really get into someone, and I'm talking about a group of 15 people. You then want me to do that across 75 listings. So let's get realistic. How much time have we got and where do you want me to get to? Yeah, so do the math. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So a lot of this, you know, we talked before we, before we, um, before we return this lovely microphone <laughs> about um, realistically what does training mean mm. and what does education mean? And training mm. is one of those words that gets bandied around so much mm. and it's a real buzzword and it's a word we shouldn't avoid but we should really understand what that means. So... Can you come and do wine training for my team? Yes, you can. That's mm. great. I'll come along. That mm. sounds wonderful. I'm really excited. Great. How long have I got? 45 minutes? Wonderful. Okay. That's a decent chunk of time. I prefer an hour, an hour and a half, but okay. Great. Okay. I've got um, 13 wines by the glass. I need you to do them all with the team. In 45 minutes? That's not going to... Yeah, yeah. You know, how much quality do we really get from that? So I think it's what's amazing is the trade is making more space for wine training and wine education, which is really cool. I'm picturing that scene at the table and again the analogy of learning a new language comes to mind because uh, you know very recently over the last few years I've been learning Spanish and it's one thing sitting down typing an email about in Spanish and reading in Spanish but literally I can relate back to times when I've been in front of somebody and it literally feels like somebody's pulled my voice out you know and and uh you know i i have felt at times i felt that about wine as well it's just it just felt like you know that question 
what do you smell what do you taste it, it just suddenly brings up all of the same emotions and I, you know, i'm just very happy that i've got that reference point i guess and you know i guess just um empathizing a bit with the people who are in that um selling um situation or or, or, the, or having the conversation with with clients and i can see why they would say oh you know do you want a beer or you know or do you want this wine here that i know and you know is sort of a, a bit of a crowd pleaser so yeah it's i think it's, it's it's quite it can be quite a challenge for for somebody especially somebody who maybe you know doesn't drink wine at home and uh, you know is, is kind of is it's a it is a job for them you know which which it's it's fine you know it doesn't it doesn't it can be a passion for for us and for the people listening but it um often it will just be a job for a lot of people out there I mean, you, you mentioned the, the fact that you were learning Spanish, mm. which I completely empathize with because I'm having French lessons at the moment. Um, and I do the same thing. I can repeat, yeah. and I'm not flattering myself, but my French teacher says I have a good accent, which is great. But when it comes to forming my own sentences, mm. trying to talk mm. from nil point <laughs> about, about, I don't know, my week or something, I want, if I want to say something, it feels like, and that's such a great analogy, my voice box been pulled out, mm. or that I just, I've got tape on my mouth and yeah, I, can't, yeah, yeah. I can't move. And it's debilitating. And I remember what that was like. I remember what that's like about, um, about, about service, about anything to do with your job. You, you feel like you're in a position where you have to talk about something, but you just, just can't. Mm. And I think the root of that is empowerment and confidence. So when I have clients tell me, we just want our staff to be more confident, it's this begging, earning, yearning wish that mm. they, that they mm. would just, just be able to make that person really fly and talk at length about what they want, but you know, keep it succinct, keep it clear. So whenever we teach people anything, it's always about um, trying to build empowerment, trying to make them feel confident. And the way we do that is we start from what I, <laughs> what I refer to as the crass principle. Crass, not meaning sort of gauche or anything like that, but crass meaning, um, it's actually an, an, another acronym, um, which I recently learned is Latin for tomorrow, which is really nice and, and sort of development. Cresses. Cress, apparently okay. is Latin for tomorrow. Now my Latin's not very good, so don't quote me on that. But it comes from clear, relevant, applicable, and succinct, meaning okay. everything that we teach people on the restaurant floor has mm. to be crass. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, you've got to take a very complex model and make it clear, mm. okay? You have to make it also relevant to what they're doing, so then it's, it hits home. You have to make it applicable in the sense that it has to be practical. You've got to make someone do something, apply what you're doing to what you need to learn. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then you've got to be succinct, so you've got to be brief as well. So all of our training sessions are an hour to an hour and a half because we take people out of service for a very limited amount of time. We've got to work around service times. Sure. So it has to be bite-sized, and that's great because then we don't saturate people and we don't get, you know, we don't get overwhelmed. You know, like when you were going to a trade show and you stay there for too long and you think, oh, I've been there too long, I'm too saturated, I need to leave. Um, so we also have a book, one of our starter books, if you like, called How to Speak Wine, mm -hmm. which is that learning another language mm -hmm. and really getting to apply it. And what we do there is we start with the principles of professional method of tasting. So look, smell, taste. But then what are you looking for? what are you smelling how are you how are you smelling is a really important one mm -hmm. and then what are you tasting so let's focus on because we don't have time to do all of them let's focus on smell we always teach people how their sense of smell works and i think that's something that really is missing from education about wine and wine training 
your olfactory bulb is sitting happily at the top of your nasal cavity, at the top of your nose, behind your eyes, just underneath your frontal lobe. So basically sort of situated towards the center of your skull, nice and protected by everything around it. Now, your olfactory bulb operates with cilia cells, so finger-shaped cells. They have a large surface area. So when you breathe in through your nose, exactly. When you breathe in through your nose, take a nice big deep breath like you're in yoga. Yeah. <clears throat> And you are detecting the world around you. And that is helping you, keeping you safe and happy and healthy. It's also detecting things you might want to eat. It's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> or drink. They, or drink, exactly. <laughs> um, we'll come on to that. So these little aromas that it's detecting are called congeners. And okay. congeners are broken down into lots of different groups, phenols, terpenes, pyrazines. Um, more on that in your MW if you're interested. Um, but more importantly, um, those things are then translated by your brain, which is right next to that olfactory bulb, which is your amygdala. And your amygdala is responsible for your emotional memory. Now, as far as I understand it, because I am not a doctor, okay? Um, as far as I understand it, when you detect an aroma that you then can place, you might have an emotional reaction to that. So if you smelt, for example, if I smelt my grandmother's apple, apple strudel, okay? I'm gonna be in a very happy, comfortable place. I'm gonna be very, very pleased about that. If I smell my ex-boyfriend's aftershave, I might not be so happy and comfortable. Right? So that sense of smell protects you, keeps you happy and healthy and safe. And the incredible thing is that your olfactory bulb can detect, I think the last quoted amount is 10,000 individual congeners. So 10,000 individual congeners and then infinite combinations of those things. And a lot of those can be found in the wonderful thing that happens to grape juice through fermentation. So in wine, we're finding all those congeners. If you then take that back, that principle, and say, this is how your sense of smell is working, okay? And then take a big deep breath, close your eyes, and smell the wine. What are you smelling? So you give someone the empowerment to say whatever they want in a safe space. They then write their own tasting note, Mm -hmm. and that's the tasting note they go to the table with. So all of that is applicable and succinct and empowering, and it's all going back to that point so that when they stand in front of the guest, they're not intimidated. They don't have a, I'm supposed to say this thing. It comes from them, and that's, that's, that's what we do. I guess to to bring this back to the like for like comparison that you spoke spoke about earlier, um, yeah, talk us through then building on that base that that initial tasting note. What what are the steps required after that to then get somebody who's doing service to get to that like for like level? That's quite a simple jump. Um, we get someone feeling empowered and good and and knowing that in fact what they smell is actually there that they're not just making it up but they are actually smelling these different congeners and they are able to put words to that their own words to that they write their tasting note and then we get them to try another one and do the same thing and then we're building up a bank yeah now um i think the real challenge is when we get people who put their nose in the glass and go oh it smells like grapes which happens so often (laughs) happens so so often but that is that's not a problem that's not a problem that's just that's where we start so we then have to make that person understand or or help them see that that's not a terrible thing they've said it's also not the most hilarious joke i've ever heard but um a lot of those participants to sessions say it because they they find it funny and they're trying to make all their friends laugh because they feel very um you know i'm sure as a psychologist you'd understand they feel very exposed and they feel very vulnerable so they want to release the situation by laughing so if someone makes that joke in one of our sessions we have to apply a lot of that empathy and we go okay great that's fine so we go yeah yeah it smells like grapes the reason for that so we never say no you're wrong 
We say the reason for that is that your eyes see a wine glass. Your brain knows wine is made of grapes. So you go in the glass already with the answer in your head and you go, grapes, right? And we go, okay, that's wonderful. What else can you smell? And they go, oh, ha, ha, wine. <laughs> I smell wine. And you go, yep, fantastic. But what is wine? Wine is alcohol, acids, and a whole bunch of other stuff that we haven't figured out yet. And it's that stuff that we need to help the guest understand. It's that stuff the guest is asking about. So if we are going to turn this situation, this guest and waiter, waitress standoff into a friendly situation, into a, a relationship of trust, then we've got to be able to help them see that as well and trust you that you know what you're talking about. And then you feel good and they feel good and then they come back again and, and you get paid, which is nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Obviously not wanting to name any of the clients that you're, you're working with. Um, I'm just curious, you know, if you could sort of paint us a picture of where those um, manuals and, you know, that education and, and, and that approach has been applied in practice and, and where you've, you know, seen, I guess, a turnaround in, in, in that interaction and, and where that's um, resulted in, in an uplift for the, for the company. So, yeah, without naming any names, because I don't have clearance from marketing people, um, we, we work with quite a few operators up and down the UK. Um, but I think one real success story that allows us to illustrate the impact of what we do mm. is um, one client we were working with um, had a lot of... Um, a lot of staff who were of that ilk that I was just talking about, you know, very much nose in the glass and saying, oh, I smell grapes, I smell wine. Because of that, because of that um, lack of, of empathy from people who have been training them before, maybe. Um, but more importantly, because of naivety on their part, it's just not part of their lives, it's not part of their circle. So we had a challenge coming in to make them feel empowered and as motivated as possible. And we've had such an incredible reaction. Um, we started, one of our favorite tactics is to start an academy scheme with someone. So we come in and we do our on training, which is obviously the eight different books that we do, or courses rather. Um, but also helping them continue training when we're not around. So it's a lot of, um, some people call it train the trainer. Um, some people call it um, uh, a baby sommelier scheme, you know, that kind of thing. So whatever, whatever you wanted to call it, it's about um, understanding that those people can continue training when you're not around. So some of the uplift that we saw was, was really fantastic. We increased their sales of other white wines, other white wines being nothing that's sold by the glass and nothing that is a named wine. So I'm, I'm making little quotation marks here because, air yeah, air quotes, um, because uh, named wines were things like Sauvignon Blanc that wasn't okay. necessarily available okay. by the glass, but was also yeah. available by the bottle. They are what we refer to in Veraison as safe words. Mm-hmm. The things that the guest says when they feel very uncomfortable and they go, oh my God, Sauvignon, please. You know, that kind of thing. Or oh, Pinot Grigio, that kind of thing. It just sort of comes out because they're really, really scared. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. So um, so we increased their sales of other white wines, meaning their Picpoul de Pinay, their Chablis, their, you know, wines that they weren't comfortably selling on a regular basis. We increased them by 67%, like for like year on year. Other red wines, so we're thinking about things like, you know, Chianti, Rioja, Reserva, Cote de Rhone, things that weren't house, um, we increased them by 192% in that year, year on year. So what we did was unlock 
their wine list because mm. we mm. unlocked people's mm. potential mm. to talk about wine, mm. to then talk to other co- colleagues of theirs about wine and pass that on that knowledge. So it is a little bit like a sort of Olympic relay we're passing on the baton. And that's, that's ideally what the difference is between training and education. You know, training is mimic me, I'm going to do this, watch me and then you do it. And education is I'm going to give you the tools to then onward train. And that's really the success of, of what we do. So I'm a big tech fan and I noticed you mentioned a couple of times about books and you've got the tablet here with it. It looks like part of the program on. Yeah, just could you, you know, take me through and, you know, show me what would be the tech impact on, on what you're doing and, and maybe even then talking about um, is there a tech element that is kind of working for you on the site after you've left? So, yes, I'm sitting here with an iPad. It's my favorite thing to work with. Um, It's a lot less cumbersome than a laptop. However, I don't want to disappoint you here, but the most impactful tools that we have with wine education and getting those, that impact that I just talked about was, is really books, paper, pen and pencil, practicalities, wine glasses with wine in them, face-to-face, tangible, you know, human contact. We have a face, well, I'm, I'm dealing with a face-to-face and tangible industry. It's all sensory and it's very much felt. So it's hard, not, not impossible, but hard to get that through when you're talking about technology. So how does technology fit into what we do? Although we, we train on book, meaning we actually give you a physical A5 book. There's some of them on the table here. Um, we also need to be monitoring um, what kind of impact we're having, and that is all done through technology. So we are investigating different e-learning modules or different formats of e-learning mm-hmm. because I'm still not totally convinced. Um, and if you're out there and you want to convince me, please get in contact. <laughs> um, but uh, testing can be done. Testing can be done after sessions through technology, which is wonderful, which proves uptake, which is really important. Um, not only that, if we didn't have EPOS data, I couldn't track sales and compare them like for like and show that I am having a positive impact to prove return on investment. Also, what you do, Lawrence, podcasts, they're amazing, amazing. <laughs> I love them. They're brilliant. They're inspiring. You listen to them on the way to work if you work in a restaurant and you're, you know, your day starts at, at you know, 3 p.m. because you're starting for the dinner service and, and you're, you know, you can listen to a podcast on the way to work. Sometimes you can't always wake up at, at 9 a.m. to get yourself to a, a show or something like that because it's so important to be connecting the people working in restaurants with the people making the wine that, you know, that can be done through technology. However... I still think the best wine education is done face-to-face and tangible. But, you know, that could be my downfall. (laughs) So I always encourage the guests to finish on something future-oriented. So, go. (laughs) (laughs) It's very crass of you. Get it tomorrow. I need to make sure that's accurate, actually. Um, So what does the future hold? Um, we've, We've... We've got eyes and ears on the ground all the time when we're training, which is what makes it so valuable, which is why we're such good consultants in that sense, because we bring a lot of that information back to directors, heads of, um, because we see trend shifts, which is really good. So we know that we need to add three more courses to our repertoire. We need sparkling wines in there. Um, We need spirits. 
Um, and our scoping out so far of spirits has been that we need at least five books because <laughs> it's such a complex field, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we're definitely going to be looking at a spirits book and in terms of production and service. And then we're going to be looking at a cocktail book as well. Um, so that's really exciting. But I think what's really, really cool is a book that we're calling The Misfits. The misfits are all those tiny little bits of wine that don't fit into any other category. So I'm talking about your, your apertif, your, your digestif. Basically, all of the wines that you drink when you're not drinking wine, you're drinking other drinks. So it's, it is things like sherry. It's things like, um, you know, Madeira, port. Um, it's things like, you know, those vermouths that you hear about. Yeah, now, it's strictly yeah. not a wine, but an aromatized wine. You know, really interesting other bits and pieces mm-hmm. because people are starting to realize that wine is a drink and that it fits around a lot of other drinking situations uh, where you might enjoy something like that. So really, that is, I think, where the trend is, is going in terms of product, terms of product. In terms of where I see education and the hospitality industry going, mm-hmm. it's so important to people that they understand that the people they employ their staff are their biggest expenditure now anyone looking at a spreadsheet is going to tell you that but it is not the same as it used to be this is not the market that we were in um when i when i say that what i mean is people are realizing that this industry is no longer a revolving door and cannot be a revolving door because it is crippling restaurants and it is chewing people up and spitting them out and that's not what we want to do so education is becoming the trend if you like in that sense everyone's talking about training everyone's talking about really making the most of their staff so i think that's what the future holds which is really exciting thanks so much to clara for appearing i've left all the contact details for the raison below And if you've got any feedback for me, I'd love to hear from you at Interpreting Wine on Instagram and Facebook, at Wine Podcast on Twitter, and email hello at interpretingwine.com. See you next time.